As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, where every Wednesday, Flo and I pick out one article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and put the authors under the spotlight. This week, as the Premier League gears up for Cristiano Ronaldo's second debut at Manchester United, our United correspondent Laurie Whitwell is back on the show to talk about the 3pm blackout and how, unlike in 189 other countries around the world, fans here in England won't be able to watch the game legally. Yeah, we're also going to hear from our resident EFL expert, my Friday co-host George Ellick's going to drop in and tell us a little bit about things from an EFL perspective. Plenty for us to talk about with this flow. It's a really, really interesting story and stuff with a lot of, of nuance to it, much more than I realised actually before we prepped for this podcast. But let's quickly talk about England. Let's start with Jude Bellingham. He's quite the player, isn't he? Yeah, he was brilliant on on Sunday night. Um, I've really enjoyed the game. I, I I love Jesse Lingard. I just think he's so fun to watch. I think he looked like he was having such a good time, and and that's so great to see. You know, a player doesn't get a lot of game time. Just really enjoying every single time he steps on the football pitch. And I know everyone always says it, and it's such a cliche with Jude Bellingham. You know, he's only eighteen, blah blah. blah. But the composure and the confidence of a player that young. Um, and to just sort of boss the midfield like he did is just so impressive. And I'm so excited to see even more of him over the next few years. Yeah, it's an absolute joke. And I know it was against Andorra, but I really think that Bellingham can do that against elite opposition as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing him develop in the next few years. We probably won't talk so much about Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield. I don't think we'll be seeing that happen again for England. But remember, there's plenty of England stuff going on on The Athletic because obviously the Poland game's coming up tonight as well. If you aren't already subscribed, then you can sign up today and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sports. So that's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll be able to take advantage of that offer. Laurie, welcome back. A regular on our podcast now, second appearance. How are your excitement levels around Ronaldo's big debut on Saturday? Yeah, I feel quite privileged because um, I'm going to the game. 
um, at Old Trafford. It was actually a last minute substitution with Carl Anker. We, we had originally arranged to, for me to do the West Ham game away, which is the next weekend, and, and him to do the Newcastle home game. But then I realised I had a wedding the day before the West Ham game. So I said, can we swap? And then and then Ronaldo signed. So I'm, I feel quite lucky uh, to be in the stadium, uh, as we'll discuss, because it's a 3pm kickoff, so it's not on TV. Um, but yeah, excited. He's obviously in Manchester. Um, Going to start training with the team, I think, tomorrow. So um, yeah, and I'm sure he'll be wanting to start that game. Uh, we'll see if Solskjaer picks him, but I would be surprised if he doesn't, doesn't start the game. Where do you think he will start? Because obviously I think he's probably been bought in as a centre forward, but there is also still talk that he could end up playing from the left and that's where he wants to play. Do you know anything about where he may play? I think up front, yeah. I mean, I know that you know, he's obviously played across the front line in his career, but more recently um, has been that centre-forward role. And Solskjaer, after the game against Wolves, was saying that he wants him in that penalty box, um, getting on the end of things, scoring the goals that obviously he's done for Juventus in the last three seasons, and he has done at ridiculous levels for Real Madrid before that. Um, and Solskjaer's always sort of said that he wants a, a striker that would break his nose, break his toe to score a goal. Um, he probably didn't really have that in Anthony Martial. He certainly had it in Edison Cavani, and Ronaldo's cut from the same cloth I know he obviously likes the way he looks but I think he's um, he's certainly put himself in situations that might hurt um, to score a goal Laurie in the piece you, you talk about the fact that you, you touched on it there that, that the game is at 3pm and um, that means that, that people in the UK won't be able to watch it on TV there was an opportunity to move it um, you, you, you mentioned in the piece about the fact that there's precedent for games being moved fairly last minute previously and, and we know that for away fans, often it's you know two weeks before you might be changing trains and stuff like that. So, why do you think that the decision was was made not to move this to a Sunday kickoff or a Monday night or you know a, a late Saturday game? Yeah, I wonder if it was the timing of it all that it sort of happened quite suddenly, and then to kind of quickly switch for the broadcasters, you know, Sky to say actually we want that as a as a live game. Um, perhaps maybe there wasn't enough of an opportunity there for them. Also, they would argue rightly that you know there's no guarantee that Ronaldo is going to start the game, so they would perhaps rather like to wait and see. Um, they've got the game um, away to West Ham the following weekend, so they they feel satisfied that they've got you know Ronaldo plenty of it coming up. Um, that being said, you know a lot of people will want to watch this game and, and we have had a lot of comments on the Athletics sort of asking why it's not been shifted. Um, the, the, the precedent would was the Leicester game against Arsenal back in 2016 and that was a January fixture when Leicester were going for the title and I think nobody could have predicted that they would be in the title race at that point. Um, it was 23 days in advance that they shifted that one. Um, so again, it was a, and it, it caused a lot of criticism for, from away fans for the fact that they, you know, perhaps already booked their trains and or hotels and it got shifted to a Sunday at 12. So it was a, you know, a, a tricky one to get to f for Leicester fans. Um, so I think perhaps they've also been mindful of that, that, you know, Newcastle to Manchester, you know, you, you have got to consider people actually going to the game. Um, and I guess they just thought, let's leave it as be. Yeah, and also what, what I was saying to Dan when we were chatting on WhatsApp earlier before the pod that I remember United-Newcastle being one of the best fixtures of the season. I remember, you know, watching that in summer holidays in, in bars in kind of Portugal or, or wherever and, you know, classics with Shearer and, and the like. So I was actually quite surprised that it wasn't picked for TV initially as one of the, the, the games that a broadcaster might want to pick up. Do you just think it's the nature of... Um, maybe a slightly sort of fading Newcastle side, and 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 therefore it's not as a tantalising fixture as it once was. 
Possibly, yeah. I mean, it's been a pretty comfortable win for United, certainly last season. Um, I mean, admittedly, it was Jose Mourinho's sort of do or die game almost that time and, and that was a late comeback win 3-2 so that's quite a recent memory um, but yeah back in the day it used to be I remember 4-3 um, a couple of them actually um, that, that were really entertaining with Philippe Albert oh absolutely glorious I guess this season United were on uh, away to Wolves last weekend um, and they're on again away to West Ham so I feel like perhaps the broadcasters are thinking let's have United away from home um, you know perhaps I know they're on this long unbeaten run but there's more chance of a United defeat in those situations maybe and you're looking at Man United v Newcastle at the moment and you're thinking that that should be an easy Man United win so they're probably thinking that on that score I would imagine I expect now Laurie you're a expert on article 48 for, for, <laughs> for those who don't for those who don't know do you want to explain a little bit about it yeah it's a funny one I, I read it I read about it a while ago in a Matt Slater piece um, he, he's really on the ball with this kind of thing and um, and yeah but this this week I'd kind of done a bit more digging into it and it's basically a statue as per sort of UEFA regulations where um, all member nations of, of UEFA can actually have a slot that's two and a half hours where they don't show any live uh, football on TV. The idea being it's to protect crowds at the game, so not only at Old Trafford, but also at any local stadiums nearby, sort of lower league level. So Salford are playing at the same time at three o'clock, for example, that, that game. Um, so would somebody, if the Ronaldo match was on TV, would they rather stay at home or go to the pub and watch that than go to Salford and, and, and watch their local team? Um, and then also there is a, a sort of smaller, perhaps, ang- angle to it in that, you know, um, some people play football at three o'clock on a Saturday, so the kind of grassroots protection is is something that they they're after. Um, there there was some suggestion that it dated all the way back to the fifties, but in doing my research for this, um, it, it transpired that it was nineteen eighty seven when the, when the law came into effect, which is basically when um, broadcasters were looking to show football on TV in England. For example, it was ITV doing a big um, TV deal with the Football League, uh, and they they realised that they needed to have a, a sort of protected slot. And it was actually the broadcasters as well as the FA and the uh, Football League that got together and decided about this. 2:45 p.m. to 5:15 p.m. slot where it's a blackout for, for matches to be shown in the UK, um, and it's just stood you know stood the test of time throughout all that period. Uh, and another angle actually that I hadn't really appreciated was that you can't show any football at that time. So it, it could be Bundesliga games, it could be La Liga yeah. games that you can't show in England, and that's already had an effect on one Ronaldo game when he was making his debut for Juventus um, away to Kievo. Uh, so that kicked off at 5 p.m. So the first 15 minutes of that game weren't allowed to be shown on English TV which is kind of mad I suppose and La Liga tried to challenge it or rather sorry 11 Sport tried to challenge it a few years ago and basically UEFA and the FA pushed back and, and, and said no thanks and, and they kind of went and, and accepted that so it's an it's a topic that's it's caused a lot of debate and not many countries do it you know it's only actually England Scotland and I think Montenegro that, that actually enforce this you know Every other country, they they sort of show football throughout the day, throughout you know each week. Um, perhaps it looks archaic to some people, but for sure there's a lot of people that are very strongly opposed to it changing. You know, particularly up in the up and down the football league. You know, owners that that really value gate receipts and, and people actually coming to the stadiums. Yeah, I do get it. It's completely understandable. But I do remember tuning in when La Liga used to be on Sky to watch El Clasico once and just the first 15 minutes wasn't shown. <laughs> and then miss, missing two goals, it kind of takes away a, a little bit in that respect. I don't I don't think it needs to be quite as long because you don't want to be missing the first 15 minutes of a game. That, that makes no sense at all. 
I also I also think to just to, to echo that it seems bizarre. I mean, I'm fully support it in the UK, but it seems bizarre to me to to extend it to matches abroad because you know if the focus is on on gate receipts, I think there is a desire anyway to to follow your team, and that's only been heightened because of the pandemic. I mean, I know from personal experience, people are absolutely desperate to get to football games, so I think yeah. extending it to a game that you can't physically get to, um, I just think yeah. I think that maybe is a tad excessive when Dan's missing the first 15 minutes of, of uh, El Clasico. Not, not on at all. That would have been very, very upset. Ruin the rest of the game for me, to be honest. I don't even think there was, I don't even think there was any goals was for, the, for the rest of the game. Know, just the I think they were the only goals. But yeah, I get what you're saying, Flo, because I would... I know, obviously, I support a Premier League team. But, you know, I'd never not go to Villa Park on the yeah. basis that there was there was another game on telly, but it, it, is the, it is the grassroots level and the lower league level that I guess it affects... Yeah, they've had, they've had. I think they've done some research into it, but but clubs are very careful about opening Pandora's box. It is how mm. Sean Harvey, who was the chief exec of the EFL, um, put it to me. They trialed. Um, uh, they tried to do a scheme where basically uh, this is another clause. Sorry, of Article Forty Eight, where it actually only comes into effect if the top two divisions, if fifty percent of those games are staged at three o'clock on on a Saturday. So. During International Week, obviously, top two divisions are paused, basically. So, theoretically, there's no ban on the 3pm blackout. You know, clubs could be shown at that time. Um, but So, he, he proposed to these to, to League One and League Two clubs, um, shall we do that? Shall we show some matches at 3pm on a Saturday and see how see if it affects gate receipts or not? Um, and, and the clubs basically pushed back on that. A few clubs did take them up on the offer. I think they had their, on the iFollow app, that they could show their, yeah. their, um, their games. Um, and, and apparently there wasn't much conclusive evidence either way to say yes this actually does really affect gate receipts or, or no it doesn't so I think clubs are kind of reluctant to, to um, sort of peek behind the door on that one and I suppose when you've got crazy away trips when you're going like Plymouth to Carlisle or something like that then you know you can understand why people might be a bit reluctant to do that um but I think probably one of the biggest concerns is ticket prices isn't it because I went to that Arsenal Chelsea game at Emirates a few weeks ago that didn't sell out. Um, I think I paid 80 quid to go um, and it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money and I think maybe in the, the Premier League especially and a lot of championship clubs as well are not cheap. There must be a concern that if Pandora's box were to be opened, um, the ticket prices are, are pushing people away. Yeah, and that was probably something um, that came through in research um, that Ampere analysts did um, that one of their analysts uh, spoke to us about it and he said that they looked at the Bundesliga for example and they show matches you know all the time um, it's basically all, always available and their attendances are over 90% um, you know which is equivalent to the Premier League basically which is you know really strong but obviously there's other factors there such as ticket prices uh, you know and the overall match day experience so I think people are wanting to go you know beer is obviously readily available for example you know you can make a proper day of it um and it wouldn't cost you an arm and a leg whereas if your ticket prices are excessive and you've got this alternative to, to stay at home and watch it you know in the comfort of your own home and, and and maybe the alternative would be to 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 show certain matches on you know club in-house media where, where they could you know perhaps pay a certain premium for that um I think people would perhaps that 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 would be the issue the, the ticket prices. But you know, if it, if it meant ticket prices coming down, I think we could all get behind that one. Yeah, and Dan, we was talking about the fact that we're already spending maybe I think I've got at least fifty to sixty pounds a month going towards a BT Sport and Sky subscription. So 
with the with respect to the people that are commenting on your piece, Laurie, you can understand the frustration of people who say, I'm paying all this money and I still can't get to watch my football team. And we kind of had that limbo of the pandemic where you had the access and there was that kind of hilarious moment where the, the, the Premier League tried to do pay-per-view uh, again and it kind of backfired. And, and you had I Follow, which was a kind of about 10 quid a game. So things became far more accessible. And I suppose once you give people that and take it away, it's mm. really hard to say, sorry, guys, no more of that, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, Andy Cairns, who was the um, head of Sky Sports News, was another person we spoke to, and he he very much came from that point of view, where I think he would he would be up for everything being available, and people can make their own choice if they want to go to a game. That's a different experience to watching it at home. But you are right, Flo, that you know the the experience of the pandemic just gave people a window into an alternative reality yeah. where they could watch football all the time. And d- did they enjoy that? Uh, you know, I think certainly a lot of people had a great time you know I think what was it like two o'clock five o'clock seven o'clock you could spend all day watching the football alternatively uh, which is something Sean Harvey mentioned that you know the the saturation point was were the audience levels actually you know a, a good level um, throughout for, for those matches or, or did people you know reach a, a point where actually they'd, they'd kind of got a bit of football burnout and, and they picked and chose what games they wanted to watch and therefore perhaps the smaller club suffered as a result so I, I feel like Article 48 does sustain a, a kind of more democratic spread of, of, of money um, throughout the Premier League and then even you know down into the Football League. I did find that they always seem to put a tedious game on at, at three o'clock. Like I'd, I'd have in my mind, I'm going to spend all day on Saturday sitting in watching the football, and the three o'clock was always thrown in as a, a bit of a tedious one. I feel like they did that on purpose because of Article 48, because it was never a game you wanted to watch at three o'clock. I always felt <laughs> testing your resolve there, Dan. Yeah, exactly. Just like to see it through. West, and West also, well, and <laughs> also that you know the having fans back lifts the coverage. I think we spoke about that in our first episode of this pod actually watching it during the pandemic although it was brilliant to have the access it wasn't the same without the fans it was sometimes like watching a FIFA simulation so Mm. now that fans are back I think the TV experience is much better and you can understand why people want more of that because you're getting such good coverage I mean Mark Chapman you spoke to him at the end of your piece and he was talking about radio and I completely agree and I think you know I, I do a lot of radio and I'm really passionate about radio I think it's it's just such an incredible um, a medium and and I, I agree with him in the sense that at Old Trafford on on Saturday he's so excited to bring people into that into that atmosphere into that occasion um, and and maybe that's the kind of middle ground I guess is that you can't have the full 4D experience but we can give you something and we can still protect the clubs I guess with the bigger clubs like Manchester United you would kind of shrug and say well maybe they'll just sell out anyway so it could you could you reach some kind of middle ground where um the bigger clubs who are more global and are so big can have those 3 pms but the smaller clubs can't you know maybe like a premier league exemption yeah a premier league exemption is is an interesting idea and i think um for sure perhaps there's there's little Opportunities, but you know, maybe broadcasters could have you know one or two games per um, season where they could, at short notice, say, actually, we can broadcast this. They wouldn't change the time of the game, and they wouldn't, you know, so, that, so fans wouldn't be affected. That that wouldn't be that upheaval. But they could perhaps 
for you know circumstances beyond prediction, such as Ronaldo signing, um, they could they could select it. Um, I suppose the only um, caveat to that would be that would the clubs themselves then say, well, we're being shown more than you guys, we deserve more money. Yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. there is the distribution that they have at the moment, the, the, the formula that they use to, to um, give money to teams that are shown on TV. Um, so that already, you know, United, for example, or Liverpool will, will be on more than, than Burnley, um, just as a facilities fee that they get. Um, so that would perhaps increase that gap a little bit. So I suppose that would be another thing to consider um, if, if they decided that they deserved more money. I mean, one thing that was said to me that could, you know, would this actually open up clubs looking to sell their own rights? Um, and I mean, I'm, I've been told that, you know, that's not possible. You know, the Premier League statutes dictate that it's, you know, a collaborative sale of, of rights. So that's one thing just to kind of make sure that people are aware of. But yeah, for sure, I, I wonder if this could be a sort of a thin end of a wedge of, of perhaps reimagining what, what could be possible. Got to say, I'm finding this chat quite fascinating. I always like speaking to people who are more intelligent on subject matters than me. Hopefully you're all enjoying it at home as well. We'll be back after this little break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, then just before we crack on, let's hear a little bit from our resident EFL expert and someone you'll be familiar with here on this podcast feed. It's George Ellick. Here's his thoughts on the 3pm blackout. I can definitely understand why people are frustrated that they can't watch Cristiano Ronaldo's second debut for Manchester United on Saturday. But it's nothing really more than an inconvenience and it's not uh, an important issue in the grand scheme of things. However, for EFL clubs and non-league clubs to lose their matchday revenue is massive. It is crucially important and to argue in favour of getting rid of the blackout is effectively saying that Premier League clubs and their fans matter more than those at the lower ebb. And if anything, we need to move further to protect EFL clubs and non-league clubs. Manchester United do not matter more than Barrow. Uh, There is no question at all that if the game on Saturday was televised, there would be a big chunk of fans who normally go to games in the EFL, who probably wouldn't travel, who wouldn't go on an away day across the country, who wouldn't go see their local team if they had the option of watching that game. And that has a massive impact. The idea that now it's out of date, um, the 3pm blackout, is completely wrong. It's needed now more than ever. We've just gone through a season due to COVID where clubs who are so reliant on their matchday revenue had to play a whole season without fans and without that source of income. So to drive a further wedge between the clubs and their fan base, it just doesn't make any sense. It's so important not to give in to this idea because at the moment the pyramid in this country is completely skewed towards Premier League clubs. We need to do what we can to make that divide smaller, not bigger. Uh, And doing this would be... We've just managed to survive this crisis now without seeing any clubs going bust in the EFL. Um, Non-league clubs have had a terrible time of it as well. This would be a disaster for so many of them. (laughs) 
yeah, George Ellick there, and I completely agree with George on that uh, and what he said about kind of protecting that and how important it is to the pyramid. Um, I, I kind of couldn't agree more. I suppose not just focusing on on the Ronaldo element because I think in reality people are so desperate to get to football games. Like I said, I don't think Ronaldo's debut is is enough to pull them away. Um, so looking at the bigger picture, Laurie, how do you think? you reach a, a solution on this because I think as the game grows and becomes more global, people are still going to seek out illegal streams in order to um, get their fix of a 3pm kickoff. So how do we reach a place where everyone's happy, I guess? Yeah, I suppose it's just minimising the, 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 the chance of piracy or the, the unrest, I suppose. You know, the, clearly there's loads of illegal streams and people I'm sure will be going to pubs at three o'clock that are managing to shut the blinds and and get some you know uh, stream from from Greece or whatever um but I, I kind of feel like we, we should protect the, the the democracy of of English football I think it is much more evenly spread than it is in other um nations and and clearly we have issues ourselves you know that isn't a it's not a nirvana over here where you've got um, you know, certainly a massive disparity in financial resources of, of different clubs. Um, so that's why I kind of my my instinct is to kind of protect the three pm blackout. Um, I mean, I agree with you on the radio side of things. It's actually quite wonderful for people to to tune in and and hear it. You know, with with their ears and kind of they can picture the sounds and then they can watch it on match the day later. Um, you know, and and see the highlights. I mean, not that also should be said that Sky will will show the game pretty much in full. Um, from about 5.15, you know, they, they have a match choice each day and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that game will be the one selected. So people don't have to wait too long. I, I know it's not live. So, um, I mean, also, I, I suppose as we go along, maybe there, I was surprised personally, I don't know what you guys thought, but the comments um, were were very much against the 3pm back out. It, it felt like on The Athletic, you had quite a few people that were, were arguing for it to sustain, but the, it felt like the majority were sort of saying this is an archaic rule, we should be able to watch football when we want. And I don't know if that's because, you know, we've got a lot of international subscribers where that is their only way to watch the game. Um, so they, they just feel like it is a bit odd, um, even though that obviously they will be able to watch it, you know, in America, in, the, the irony being that everywhere else in the world yeah. they can watch this ap- apart from Cuba and North Korea. Dan, do you think maybe it's a their comments are because they are fans of a big club that maybe you know never been in the football league, so is yeah, they're maybe. a bit out of touch? I don't know. Because I'm bit of just being completely selfish this weekend, so I'm not going. Villa playing at Chelsea five thirty on Saturday. I'm not going this weekend, so I'm going to be at home. I would like the option to be able to watch that three pm game because I'm not I'm not someone who's going to go to a lower league ground anyway, so I'm not. Like it's not it's not taking me away from doing that because I, I wouldn't do it anyway. Just so you see what yeah. I mean. There'll be people yeah. who just want to watch it selfishly. You know, if we could get rid of the blackout for one weekend, I'd be all for that. <laughs> what do you think is the answer though? Because I, I basically didn't answer your question there, Flo, did I? <laughs> well, yeah, it's just a really it's a really interesting one. I wonder if it's a you know they would like every game or is it just is it just because they want to see Ronaldo so much? I think it's it's hard to work out where they necessarily don't see why it's so important. Um, and I think George puts it really well why it is so crucial that this exists. But at the same time, Dan's point about if you're a United fan, and I think Sean Harvey mentions that in the piece, would you actually be weighing up whether to go to watch Salford City or what staying at home to watch Manchester United? I personally think that 
a bit like Dan, if you were a Salford City fan, you would go and pay to watch mm. Salford City because mm. you want to go to football. And that's mm. only cr- increased because of the pandemic. Like, at QPR, my club, people are literally fighting over tickets to go to Reading away. This is like, you know, this is peak hysteria of, of being at football matches. So, yeah, it's 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 a really intriguing one, but I, I'm, I, I wonder why people are so maybe out of touch seems harsh because... You know, obviously people understand the reality of of the football pyramid, but I wonder why they just think Article 48 is so archaic. Uh, I mean, because I think you can still see its purpose even in 2021. I guess the other thing as well that, again, I'm just thinking out loud here, I've gone completely off script this this whole podcast. You're enabling something that's bad about football to happen this weekend now because ticket touts and people shifting tickets for thousands of pounds because they're taking advantage of the fact that nobody can actually see this game unless you're a Manchester United fan or a Newcastle fan, with a ticket. So there's also that aspect of it as well, that you know, people, other people are profiting off this. I wonder, though, how many people will buy a ticket for that, for an extravagant amount of money. I I, I mean, I know people that are going. You'd and, have to be like a, a, a insane Ronaldo fan, surely, yeah. to do that. <laughs> I, I, I think this is such a unique set of circumstances that, yeah, there's, there's that, you know, just this one thing dictate what the general sort of um rule should be you know at all times um I, 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 I know like i say i know a lot of people that go in and they will not give up their ticket for any amount of money no. so i so i think you know there's a lot of high proportion of season ticket holders that go to old trafford so they, they kind of i wonder just how many tickets and listen we'll, we'll see I'll, I'll maybe try and ask people at the game you know i'm sure they won't tell me if they've bought <laughs> off a ticket out but you know they might be able to do a bit of anecdotal evidence when we get there but um you are right dan it is you don't want to see tickets being sold for that amount of money it's not right but i, w- I, w- I guess i would say if somebody's you know willing to pay that amount of money you'd think that they have that amount of money to spend and i guess it's up to them a little bit if they want to if we want to go down that route i mean maybe i'm reading that all wrong well is it is is are the comments on the article and in general is that symptomatic of a, a, the growing gap between the premier league and, and the efl i mean it, that's the kind of the reality isn't it is that at one point something's got to give and although this this really protects the Premier League financially, it's still going to come up in every single conversation around TV, new TV deals. So it's not going away. And with the the Super League and the um, support uh, around financial support around the pandemic and things like that and the big six and, and all that kind of conversation, this isn't going away. We're just going to be talking about this when the new TV rights deal comes up, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, Sean Harvey said that every time, you know, the new EFL deal had to get, um, fixed that that was basically when it would come up you know and, and generally it was always people were quite happy with the balance I mean more more matches now are shown live than not you know in the Premier League for example so there is a lot of football being shown um, I suppose it is just it feels different to other leagues where literally you could watch every game can't you I think um, certainly in football and, and other sports as well you know NFL NBA um, and, and I guess for a lot of people, certainly our subscribers and, and around the world, they'll just think it's it's just odd. It's just a curiosity. Why why would you not show something that everyone wants to watch? Um, so yeah, for sure, it'll come up time after time. I mean, you know, TV companies want to put cameras in dressing rooms, don't they? And you know, you've got um, the, the tunnel seats now at Man City and Spurs, where people can get a cl- up close view of the action. So it's it's only going one way. But it'd just be interesting to see how long there is a. A resistance to it and and you know and i guess money talks ultimately you know it'll be a financial equation that it comes down to 
Is that your conclusion then before we let you go, Laura? It sounded, that sounded like a, a nice summary of the situation. Is that, is I feel that like it. Yeah, I sort of yeah. riffed on I feel that like one. we're it's, leaving it's... with more questions, aren't we all? We're leaving yeah, more questions than answers on this podcast. We, we, we've solved absolutely nothing so essentially <laughs> yeah. the last half an hour has been, been, been pretty pointless, but I've, even, I've, I've enjoyed the chat. I think my conclusion is, is that I think it's, it's the right thing, the blackout. But I think they should have an exemption for this weekend. That's the, that's the, that's the best way I can I can put it. Every now and again, you should have an exemption if something special crops up, and I feel like this this would be one of those times. Yeah, I think I think you need to adapt, um, and I think the pandemic showed that perfectly that you do need to adapt. I think what the pandemic showed as well is I hate this. I think it's a bit of a cliche term, but you know, football is nothing without fans, and I think I think we've proved both those things. We've proved that people are still desperate to go to football games unless they support Arsenal um, and I think that's important and I think you could have a good balance and I think although maybe Sean Harvey and others are reluctant to open Pandora's box I think it would be a good test to see if that's true if of giving more access and more coverage would lead to a massive decline because obviously during the pandemic people can go to games so we, we didn't know that answer but it would be interesting to see how uh, impactful it would be because I'm for I'm still for it but I do think you're going to have to adapt to get with uh, the modern football fan yeah I completely agree well Laura it's been great to talk to you even though we've solved absolutely nothing so I'll let you crack on with your day probably being Carl Anker's worst enemy now I would imagine <laughs> but yeah enjoy the game on Saturday I hope it's a good one for you cheers guys thanks for having me on Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just before we leave, then let's point you in the direction of a few other great stories going on on The Athletic at the moment. Flo, have you been enjoying anything? Yeah, really good um, Jack Pitbrook piece about England. Um, I think, you know, the the evolution of England over the past year has just been so impressive. And he kind of touches on the fact that there are no pointless games now. Southgate's really kind of built a team that loves to win and it's so enjoyable to watch. And I don't think we've had that, you know, in, in terms of qualifiers and friendlies for a very long time in every single game now you want to tune in for. And I think Jack kind of goes into that really well in his piece. Yeah, great writer, Jack, great guy. There is another article actually that fits in quite nicely with what we've been talking about today, and that's the importance of match-going fans. It's a piece by senior writer and long-suffering Newcastle United supporter George Colkin, and it's called This Is What Football Sounds Like, and there's actually an accompanying podcast as well over on the Pod on the Time podcast feed from the journey there to the ride home afterwards. I haven't listened to it myself yet, but I've, I've heard George do stuff like this before, and he's a very, very funny guy and very good to listen to. So yeah, George has set out to capture the sound of football from the fans' perspective 
and this is a little bit of a teaser of what it sounds like. What does football sound like? Football should sound like people. Small little bit of casual friendship and intimacy that's built up over the years with people just waving. It should sound like your soul shaking. That noise is something unique, universal collective joy. It sounds like this. Remember, you can read all the great stuff on The Athletic at the moment, plus Laurie's excellent piece on a 3pm blackout and much, much more for just £3.33 a month at the moment. To do that and take advantage of the offer, just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. So I think that does us for today's episode of The Football Show on The Athletic. Thanks to Flo and thanks again to Laurie Whitwell for chatting to us today. Thanks a lot as well for listening. Remember to hit follow and leave us a review if you're feeling generous and keep an eye out for tomorrow's episode on this podcast feed. Have a great day. The Athletic.